Good morning again. Buenos días. Otra vez para todos. Gracias por estar aquí. Thank you for being here. When you, when people look at that phrase, come as you are, um, you know, we usually think about, you know, it doesn't matter what situation you are, it doesn't matter where your habits are, or if you have any addictions, uh, you don't have to uh, fix yourself up and, and look a little more decent before coming to the Lord. The Lord will receive you, the Lord will, will accept you, right? In whatever situation you, you are in. And we know that there are many, uh, many people use their shortcomings, their past, uh, as, uh, as excuse, I guess, or barriers sometimes between themselves and God or between them, themselves and a church. And in some cases, people honestly believe that their failures, their addictions, their physical appearance, uh, their lack of education, or even their socioeconomic background makes them unworthy of becoming a Christian or maybe going to a specific uh, church. But today I want to add, and everything is, I mean, all of that is, is correct, but today I want to align that phrase with the idea of accepting people from a different cultural, racial, or, or ethnic background from our own into our church family. And, and as you know, you know, this has always been uh, God's plan from the very beginning. If we go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12, for example, uh, God is talking to Abraham, right? And he gave him some promises. Three promises to be more exact. And in, in, in verse 3, he says, through your seed, through your lineage, through your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? So even from the time before Israel existed, uh, from, the time, from the times of, of Abraham, God's plan, God's vision for the church was for us to reach every single ethnic group in the world. When you look at the Great Commission, and Jesus sent us to, to preach the gospel and baptize people in all nations, the actual word there uh, in Greek is ethnos, and it's people groups. It's not talking about really nations. It's talking about anyone, everybody. Doesn't matter where you, you're coming from. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your skin color. And so that's the vision that God always had and still has uh, for, for the church. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you guys enjoy last Sunday? Right? It was, it was an amazing day. Uh, you can feel the energy. Um, and, and for me, um, uh, it was like a, a little bit of a taste of heaven. And, and the, the, the beautiful thing uh, was last Sunday is that we have many visitors. 
I mean, usually, we usually have 450 people here on Sunday. We have over 600 people last Sunday. So we had a lot of visitors. People that we went and visited two weeks ago uh, came. People from the community came. Family members, friends. Opportunity last week, a beautiful opportunity to show them who we are. To show them our vision of what the church uh, should be like. And I think it was, it was just uh, it's a, it was a, 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 a beautiful experience. And, you know, thinking about that, this, this, not just this week, for the past uh, few weeks, I have been doing some research uh, on the multicultural church movement. And I'm trying to learn uh, from the experiences of other church leaders, uh, writers, and researchers, on what makes a multi-ethnic or multicultural church successful. What are the challenges that we can find? What, what is the cost? Not just in terms of money, but in, in terms of effort, in terms of time, and even sacrifices. Uh, anytime we travel to a place, right, no matter where we are, we usually like, we need a map. Right? We need a map. We need to know where we are. I know there are a few guys in this church still. They believe they can go anywhere without a map, right? So there are a few of those sitting with us today. But in general, we, if, we ha if we're going to a place right, that we have not been before, uh, we need a map. Right? We need directions. We need a, 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 some kind of GPS. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes, uh, and again, I'm going to try to be as, as brief and as fast as I can, I'm going to provide a little map or maybe like an overview of the multi-ethnic church movement, where it comes from and where it's going. And, and before even I enter and start you know, explaining to you what all this means, I want you to understand that in this congregation, before the elders that we currently have, we have elders here for, I don't know what the oldest one has, no in age, but serving the church, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes, right? People don't like to talk about age. But, but when we talk about the, the, what this church, this congregation, not from these elders, I'm not going to give this honor to these elders, but the ones before, they had, uh, I think, a, a spirit-led vision of what this church is going to look like in the future, right? And of course, when, when you look at this movement uh, in, in America, in, you know, in the pro Protestant churches, it started back in the, kind of in the 1960s. A lot of things were going on in the 1960s, right? A lot of changes, some for good and some for evil, right? A lot of stuff was going on. Many of you were kind of kids at that time. You don't know about that. But if you go back to history, it was a really difficult time. And a lot of changes in, in how we, we saw the world and people kind of going away from their kids, going away from their faith of their parents. It was a messy time. But in, during that time, also people started to kind of feel a little weird about having black churches, white churches, uh, and all kind of different type of churches. And so that started back there in, 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 in the second part of the last century, 1960s and forward. And that's what we call the, the forerunner stage. 
And those were those first uh, uh, efforts to establish multicultural churches. Uh, and then, if you remember, in the 1990s, and I don't know if any of you attended those, those meetings, anyone remember the Promise Keepers? Right? Remember those, those, those days? Well, this, that happened kind of to, toward the end of the, pro, of the forerunner stage. And, uh, and they appeared on the scene, and so there were like weekend events. And, and men of different ethnic backgrounds, social economics, uh, men from all over the country, doesn't matter where your church was, your denomination was, they came together, they filled stadiums to, to sing, to study, to pray, to weep together, uh, uh, united by a common faith. Uh, and then, but th this is the, was the problem. That at the end, those men attending those conferences went back to their segregated churches. So if you were African American, then you were back to your uh, uh, African American church. If you were white, you were back to the white church. If you were Hispanic, then you went to the, your, your church. And, uh, and so there was this uh, question. The question remained. Why this wonderful expression of unity and diversity is not more commonly found within our local congregations? And, and so, those, again, those are the, the, the those, those specific things that we're kind of making this movement, movement to continue to grow. So, uh, in around 2000, there was a book uh, that was, there is a book that was published. And it's called, the book is called Divided by Faith. And in this book, uh, it's, it's more like, uh, it's a sociologist that wrote the book, Michael Emerson. Uh, and then this book provided a stat a statistical data detailing the systemic segregation of the local church in the United States. And about 92 Listen to this, 92.5% of the churches in America were monoracial, meaning one race. And the other 7.5% were described as multiracial, and those are churches with at least 20% of their members being of a different ethnicity than the majority group. And so that, the book wasn't, I mean, it, it was just describing the state of affairs. It, the book was not written to really encourage anyone because they were actually skeptical what, what is going to happen. And so, but that book affected a lot of leaders uh, uh, in, in different congregations, different denominations, and they finally decided to do something about it. You probably heard many, many times, and because that phrase has been going around for about 100 years, and the phrase says this, the following, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Have you heard that phrase? And the thing is, you know, you hear that phrase, but nobody was doing anything about that. Yeah, yeah, it's right, oh my goodness. And, and so until the publication of this book, this observation remain unaddressed. So the conclusion of the book, and I'm going to, and I don't know if I have it here. 
Um, the conclusion of the book. So it says that the statistical data presented confirm that when compared with other social institutions, listen to this, the church, far from representing the diversity and unity of the kingdom of God, was actually the primary institution perpetuating systemic racism in our society. Now, you might think, uh, and again, it can be, you, you, know, you, you can feel like I'm judging, but I'm not judging. And, and I'm just you know, presenting the, the data. And this is what happened. And it, all, everything has to do to what I'm talking about today with our culture, our religious culture, our society, our values, and all kinds of stuff. This is what people used to think. And there is something called the homogeneous unit principle. The homogeneous unit principle. This principle has been the default strategy when it comes to church growth. And this is the idea. This is what people thought. And again, this, this, is, this was not due, people didn't do that, this because they were race, racist necessarily. But it had an intended consequence. This was the idea. They said, well, if you take a bunch of people, it, it doesn't matter if they are white or if they are uh, African Americans, if they are Hispanic or whatever, if you put together people from the same race, the same social economic background, the same culture, the same ideals, that church is gonna grow fast, right? Because you don't have a lot of barriers and people will feel comfortable with one another. So that's the homogeneous unit principle and that's how churches were operating up to the late 1990s. Like, okay, you know, it, it, you know, if we really want to have a big church and grow, we just have to keep it one color, one culture. And, and so, you know, rich people go to, to Brentwood and Franklin, and, right? And poor people go to downtown Nashville. And, and, and that's how we did church. And, it's, and then everybody was happy because the church is growing. And, 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 you know, even though this is, is true, I mean, this is a correct assessment. You put people together of the same. That happened to me in North Carolina. Uh, I worked there in a, in a Hispanic, full Hispanic church for 13 years. 90% of our members came from, from Guerrero, Mexico, from the rural areas. It wasn't even from the big cities. But there's not a lot of big cities there anyway, but it was mostly from the rural areas of Guerrero, Mexico, uh, dark-skinned Hispanic uh, Mexican people, uh, really low uh, education. A lot of, it was more rural. People barely finished elementary school, and that was the people I was um, ministering to. And we went, when I got there in, we got there in 2003, we have about 25 to 20 adults and about 20 kids. It was like 50% adults. And by the time I left in 16, we had a 200, 260 attendance on Sunday. 
we were packed. I mean, we had a small building that was given to us, and we didn't have any room to continue to grow. And it was, for me, I just, I just learned their, their culture, and I learned how to teach them. I had guys in my, in my discipleship group that couldn't read when I got there. They were preaching when I left 13 years later. It was a very slow process, but I knew this is the, my, my target group. Uh, I didn't do it on purpose. It, it was just was the way it was. So the people, the majority of Hispanic people in that specific town were, were uh, from Guerrero, and we were, I mean, uh, something that was on our advantage, we were the only Hispanic Church of Christ in town. So I had no competition. I have five other Hispanic churches around us here. And so, and, and all the churches in Antioch, the other five, they all have separate services. I believe we are the only Church of Christ in Nashville and all around Nashville and all the city that that's what we're doing. There's nobody else doing what we're doing. And so when you go back, you might say, well, and, and where do we fit in this, in this process? So the book was published, and a lot of, uh, a, a lot of denominations start, you know, uh, hiring uh, multicultural um, staff members. They start planting churches. They took several families, and, and that's what we, we call the pioneer stage. Pioneers are the individuals who risk themselves and their families in pursuit of a dream. So they, they said, this is what we want, and we want to pay the price. And seven, eight, ten families left any of the say, and they moved somewhere else in a, in a more diverse area, and we want to start a church. And you know what? They were white. I know a lot of the white people get the blame. White people are the ones doing all of this. I haven't heard read about African-American churches doing it. Maybe they're doing it. I don't know. But this is white people. So we, there's a lot of blame going around. But this, this movement has been led by white churches. People that feel we cannot continue to do this because it might be easy, but it's not God's vision for the church. And when I want to keep going back to that idea. We need to understand God has a vision for his church. He never said it's going to be easy. Never. Right? And you see that in, 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 in Genesis and then when you go to the book of Acts, you see all the problems people have trying to bring together Jewish, Jewish people and, and Gentiles. Do you think that was easy? And, and, and when, you know, when you look at, at the book of Acts, you know, I'm thinking maybe Acts 11, you see uh, uh, Jewish people that became Christians preaching only to Jewish people. And they were, they were trying to make, make Christianity another Jewish sect. And they did not want to, to, to spread out the word to other people. So this is no new. And so the multicultural church movement entered this stage at the beginning of the 2000s, the pioneer state, stage. Um, and then, in, so in 2010, the the book that I read most, for most of these notes, which is down there, Leading a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church, 
he wrote a different book in 2010, uh, and he said that by the year 2020, that was about 12, 12 years ago, he said, he predicted that by 12 years ago, 2010, by the year 2020, 20% of the churches in America are going to be 20% diverse. Right? That was his prediction. Uh, where are we in that process? And I want you to see that even though this looks like scholarly, and, but this movement, I believe, has been led by the Spirit of God. Because we have the, the elders before, the elders that we have right now, they were the pioneers. They were the ones who decided to stay in any of, when other churches said, we're packing and we're leaving. Because they wanted to continue to be monoracial. They, want, they didn't want to go through this mess of accepting people different than them. And they say, good night, Charlie. So those pioneer elders decided we're not going anywhere. So many people, many other churches, I don't want to name anybody, but left Nashville and then went south, southeast, they went somebody else. And people follow along because it's easy. Now, guys, I'm not a minister because it's easy to be a minister. And if we want to do God's will, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And, and the reason why I'm trying to read about this is because I want to learn from people that have done it, that people that have documented what kind of sacrifices we have to make. And I, I do believe, I, I do believe that we are coming to a point, uh, brothers and sisters, where we need to become more intentional about being who we are as a church. Where we need to be more intentional about what is the vision, not our vision, or the vision of the elders before the elders that we have. What is God's vision for his church? Amen? Amen. And, and kind of understand and think about what, what kind of uh, sacrifices? Again, I'm not talking about time. I'm talking about being comfortable. About, uh, I'm not talking about money, about, about time too. And what are the things that we as, as a church, what are those things that we need to change? And again, I'm going out of a little, uh, my wife says, stay with the script. Sorry, I'm not gonna be able to stay with the script. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I went with one of the elders a couple of weeks ago. We met with someone. And this, this came to mind. I'm going to say it. I'm going to let the Spirit guide me. And so we, we went and talked to someone who was thinking, or is thinking, I'm not sure, about coming to any of to our church. He came to the uh, fall festival. Remember the fall festival? He came. And because we gave uh, flyers at the elementary school, his two kids go to the Tukol Elementary School, and then he came. And so he had a kid that has a very a severe uh, case of um, autism. And so he was kind of wondering if, if we were able to, they, they, they were able to come here, are we were able to kind of help them provide what they need, and so we met. And there is something that this guy asked, and that was something that this elder replied that it has been going around in my mind since then. That was probably a couple of weeks ago. 
And he, he's, you know, he's saying, you know, this is the challenges that we have. And, you know, and so the elder said, and I agree with him 100%. I have heard this before. He said, listen, the Enion Church, our church is a family. It's a family. And, and people have been in our church, so many people for many, many years. So uh, it, it's a very tight and, and close family. And he said, I'm going to have to be honest with you. This can be a blessing. This can be a, a curse. Because when you have a church, and I want you to please pay attention to what I want to say, if you don't listen to anything else. So he said, so when you have this going on, uh, it, yeah, it's great that people feel at home, but also it is a challenge because sometimes for newcomers, they had a really hard time adjusting. Because what happens is when we're done, when we're doing our pool parties, our gatherings, guess who we're going to invite? My 10 buddies. My three or four favorite friends. And when studying this uh, multi-ethnic church movement, there is something that I was able to find out. He said what happens is in evangelical churches, 80% uh, of the social time, let me, let me go back, in white churches, let's go to white churches. White churches, people spend 80% of their social times with church members. 80% of their social time, they spend that time with church members. Where are those church members from? From the same ethnic group, from the same uh, social economic, economical background, maybe. I don't know. And see, he says, what happens is when you're always hanging out with the same people, how in the world are you going to change the church? Because you're hanging out with the same and so I wanted to point out this to the entire congregation because I'm going to tell you, yes, we, you know, I was hired six, almost seven years ago to come to Antioch to minister to a specific uh, uh, ethnic group, specific demographic. Yes, we just brought Brother Patterson, what, nine months, eight months ago, and with the, with the idea of, of, of projecting uh, our desire to be diverse, and that's correct. But if, if, if that's the only thing we want to do, just bring a Hispanic guy and, 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 a, and a black guy, is that going to make the, the church change? So this is what I'm going to, uh, and if I don't preach anything else, you, wanna, you can kick me out, but I believe in, in my, 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 what I want you to to think about today is that what kind of sacrifices do, are we willing to make? Now, the, sacri the sacrifice I'm going to ask for you guys to make is very simple. Hi, guys, it's not really hard. You want me to tell you what I'm thinking in my work? Or you want me to stop here and continue next week? Well, uh, this is what I think it needs to happen. If, let's say, I have, this is my crew. So I got Joe David, and I got Lance, and I got this, you know, Lisa, this family here. Let's say we have five or four or five families that they are my people. I'm going to request for you to open a seat or two to another one or two families. Can you do that? 
Is that too much to ask? We need to change that culture. Yes, we are a family. But let's say next time I meet with somebody and I ring an elder, I don't want an elder to keep saying that. Stop it. I want an elder to say, yes, we are a family, and we are in, in the business of opening another seat for another family. And if you come here, I promise you, we'll find a family that will adopt you. Amen? That's what is going to make the change. Yes, according to what the experts say, having and hiring diverse, uh, diverse uh, leadership, it really helps. It really helps. It projects Okay, this is what, where we're going to. And, and you know, you, you, you got people coming from different backgrounds and ethnic groups bringing new ideas, and it, it helps. But we need you guys. We need you. And the only sacrifice I'm asking at this point is to please open another chair or two. Can we do that? Now, we might say, again, because... The white church always get the blame. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. Hispanic people are really bad about mixing with other cultures. Really bad. There are people living in this country for 30 years. They don't make an effort to learn to say good morning and good afternoon. And that happens even in churches. And there are people that, that don't, Hispanic members, I'm talking about now my own people. They just want to keep the little group, you know, la raza. That's what we call la raza, the race. Let me tell you something. Hispanic or Latino, we're not a race. People think we're, we're not a race. We're mixed. So we are not a race. And so, uh, so many times, my own, my own brothers and sisters, they are reluctant to cooperate because they're not open to an invitation. And one of the things that, that happened, and, and I don't know how much time I have, but well, time flew. I'm going to have to skip a lot here. So one of the things that I did in North Carolina, so I have, you know, first generation uh, uh, Christians and also first generation uh, immigrants. So that was the, the, the adults that I have. And then I have the second generation and those are the kids that were born here in the U.S. And, and that is a, a challenge. And a lot of our kids in this church is the same, the same situation. And what happened with this specific group is that they're not from here or from there. Because they look Hispanic. They look Latino. They might have an accent because they start speaking in Spanish at home. Then when they're thrown in school, they need to learn the language. And so they're not accepted by the general population, they call them Mexicans. It seems like for anyone from Mexico to Argentina, we're all Mexicans. There are about 17 or 18 countries and we're all Mexicans. Well, we're not all Mexicans. And so they, uh, uh, so they are not accepted by the majority of this culture. Uh, they don't feel that they really belong to Mexico. They had never been in Mexico. They only know grandma through the phone or pictures. They had never been in Mexico. All they know is the United States of America, but they are not accepted here. And you know who, uh, who, are, who is the group uh, uh, adopting them? Gangs. Because they say, we accept you just the way you are. But then they have to pay a really high price. 
for joining that family. And that's what happened in New York City back in the day. Remember the Italians, all those mafias? That, that, that's just the concept of people from the same, that are struggling with the same problems, they cannot come together. And so this church needs to become that family that when I say, I accept you just the way you are. With your beautiful brown tan. Look at this. People pay dollars to get like this. <laughs> you know, put a lot of stuff and I got it for free. <laughs> so, we need to be uh, willing to accept and love people just the way you are. The way we are. And because we have this idea that, you know, everybody's the same. And I, I want for somebody to tell me how much time. I don't have a lot of time. If you ask me, where are we? Where is, and look, look at, I want you to see the Holy Spirit working in this movement. Huh? Ten minutes. If he say 20, it's 10. So I was going down to 10. So we, it's 2000, remember, in 2010, they said by 2020, we're going to have 20% uh, uh, percent of the churches are going to be 20% diverse. Do you know where we are? And which, do you want to know which stage we are? Say yes, I want to know. I don't care. But. Well, we are already an early, we're already in the early adopter stage. We are right on the money. We have about 22% diversity in this church. When you bring the Hispanic members and the African Americans together, it's about 22%. So we're way into the early uh, adopter stage. And you know what that means? There is no going back. So if you guys are planning, thinking that we're going, no, we're not going anywhere. We want to keep moving forward. And then we need to start learning and studying. And, and this is the, the second request that I have for the entire church. We need to be learners of culture. And we need to start with our own culture. You need to start with your own culture. You need to do uh, uh, introspection. And you need to start looking at what are the things that you learn back at home. All those jokes that you heard about Mexicans, about African Americans, about Asians, and how they are ingrained in your brain. Because uh, uh, we are not immune to our social and cultural environment. And I had a, a, an two Bible examples, I'm just going to give them to you. But Acts 10 is one example of Peter. Remember Peter? You know, he was hungry. You know, we read it this morning. He did not want to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius' house, remember? And God said, eat three times. You need to eat. And he said, I'm not eating, Lord. So imagine how strong your culture can be that God is telling you, my church needs to be diverse. And you say, no, no. I want to stay white. I want to stay Hispanic. I want to be black. Yeah, because black is... Whatever it is, I don't know what they say. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares about skin color? And we need to stop talking about, we need to stop talking about skin color. We need to talk about ethnicity. People of different ethnicity, because you're white, 
That doesn't mean it's like a blanket term. Well, we're white, yeah. It's not the same a white guy from Boston that a white guy from Tupelo, Mississippi. I mean, culturally, those are complete two different countries. Ah, but we're all white, and Australians are pretty different from us, right? And people from France, you know how pleasant French people are? <laughs> so we cannot, we need to stop talking about race, and we need to start thinking more into cultural or ethnicity, because that kind of describes a little bit better how we can be grouping, and we have learned that from, from our childhood. Remember when they used to sing, Jesus loved the little children, all the little children of the world? And, I, and, and some people are supposed to be yellow. I've never seen a yellow person in my life, but they're supposed to be somebody yellow. And, and so we need to stop that. We need to stop that. So that's where we are. If you're looking for a map, that's where the Antioch Church is. Now, do you believe, based on the progress we have had so, so far, so we got the, the, the elders before, they were the pioneers. The elders now, they are the early adopter stage of the church, talking about leadership. And the, the, their, their hope and the pray, their pray is that by 2050, churches are going to be 50% uh, diverse. I think that can easily happen here, even before if we are open to give a little space to add another chair around your table. So that's my message for today. I got a lot of things to say that I'm not gonna say, but I can give you my, I can give you my notes. So I'm gonna end with this. In Genesis, God said, Abraham, you're gonna be a blessing to all the nations. We are descendant of Abraham. Right? In the book of Acts, we tell God, stop calling impures what I have clean. Go and do what you're supposed to do. When Peter got to that place, he said, the, this Holy Spirit told me, do not hesitate and go with them. The Holy Spirit is telling you guys, it's telling me, don't hesitate, open a chair. Because that's my vision for this church. That's the, the boss where we are on. Right? And when we see the end of the story in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white. Yes, we're all going to be white, finally. <laughs> Woo! I want to keep my tent, but if God says we want to be white, well, let's be white. But it's people from all over the place, from all over the earth. And I found this quote. I don't know who wrote this, but I liked it. It is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. Because it's God who made, made me different than you. And it's God who made you different than somebody else. So if we have somebody, if we have people from Latin America coming one day and they kneel and start praying. I don't, do you remember a few months ago that Jesus, our brother Jesus, came forward? Remember that? 
and he was kneeling right, right there. In the Latin American culture, in the Catholic background, when you kneel, that's the lowest, that's showing God, I'm, I surrender. In my, in my, that's how we learn. I have been in places, and I don't know if you have seen, I have been in churches when people, in, in, during the Holy Week, people go on their knees up the steps of a cathedral. And go, they go on their knees all the way to the end because they're paying God a promise. So if in the future, somebody comes and kneels, you need to be comfortable with that. And because of the neighbors that we have, if somebody comes and starts praying and put their heads against the floor, we need to be comfortable with that. And if we have somebody screaming amen, amen every five minutes, we need to be comfortable. People screaming and jumping, we need to be comfortable with that. But also, if we, we have, uh, let's put an age, 80-year-old white lady who during the entire service, she was like this, we need to be comfortable with that. That's what makes a multicultural church multicultural. When people can express themselves in the way they feel like they want to express themselves. We need to, be, we need to accept people jumping, People screaming, people kneeling, people being quiet. And we all need to be comfortable with that. Amen? That's what makes a church diverse. So my prayer for you this morning is to look inside yourself and ask yourself this question. And am I willing to sacrifice for God's vision for this church? And I'm willing to go out of my way to welcome other people. Uh, Joe David had an excellent idea of starting this ministry called The Table. Are you willing to sign up to The Table? Are you willing to host? Are you willing to... And again, and I'm going to talk to my Hispanic members. Nobody from the Hispanic group signed up for The Table. But just me. I'm Hispanic too. And I need more Hispanic people signing up for the table and being willing to go and sit down with somebody that looks different than you. It's not, the blame is not all on the white people. We need to stop that. We all have our own prejudices, and we need to look inside ourselves. Amen? God bless you all. Let's all stand as our elders come forward. Thank you, Joyo.